Thanksgiving. Really nice. How was yours? It was good. Oh, I have a story to tell you. And I keep forgetting to tell you. It's really funny. So so my freshman year, freshman and sophomore year in a college roommate, Allie Gray, now she's Allie Alexander, her parents told her that Renee Richards was almost her eye surgeon when she was like a toddler. So weird. I'll give you a back, I mean, that's fucking weird, right? <laughs> I'll give weird. you a backstory. Like this is actually part of a funnier, larger, like a running joke that's been happening. So Allie was born with um, an eye condition called strabismus. Okay. And it, it's, is that where they like shake? It has, no, no, it's not that one. Yeah. Like that famous actor. That's like yeah. kind of like cool, like indie does indie stuff oh, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. She's in like a, a lot of horror movies. Um, no, this is like um, muscular. So it's like thing, she had to, she had her baby pictures are so cute because she has, she's wearing glasses. Even though, like, like, what are you gonna do? Like accounting? I mean, I, I don't know. It's so cute. She's so she was really cute. So, but she had to have the way to correct it is surgery, unfortunately. Uh, but the way that she told me about this, so this is <laughs> like this running. This is a funny story about my college friends. Freshman year of college, when we were just getting to know each other, like first like first couple of months of school. We were like talking, you know, falling asleep and talking. And um, she, we were talking about different things in our family. And she was saying like, oh, when she had, when she was like a baby, like a toddler, she had to have eye surgeries. I was like, oh my God, that's horrible. And I, I asked why. And she said, <laughs> she said, because she said strabismus. She had like, and I thought she said, it's none of your business. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't get this clarified for like two years <laughs> when I heard her telling someone else and I was like oh god it's <laughs> way off <laughs> that's hilarious yeah. they're close though they're close <laughs> so when she texted me about this she's like I'm listening to your podcast and I want to tell you that Renee Richards almost was almost my surgeon for one of my none of your business surgeries <laughs> That's really, really funny. Isn't that weird though? Small world, huh? Yeah. And it's just crazy. Like I never even heard of, the, of Renee yeah. Richards until looking that whole thing up that, that day in history. It's, it's like, that's a crime, man. Seriously. Yeah, that, that was that, that, we didn't, bad. that we didn't know about her. Anyway, so so I, I, I had to like make a note to tell you that I kept forgetting it. <laughs> that's a good story. <laughs> None of your business. Um. <laughs> So, uh, okay, so we are really late We've because the holidays kicked our ass. So we are um, recording for the weeks, covering the weeks of November 14th to the 27th. This was kind of a crazy two weeks in history. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. Oh, my God, so much. Like, starting with November 14th. Did you have anything for that? You have to tell me what your topic is, and then I'll tell you if I... I... Oh, I'm sorry. 1889, November 14th, 1889, Nellie Bly starts her attempt to circumnavigate the globe in 80 days. That's the one that, that's the first one I have. So yeah, she, I looked her up and was reading about her because I think she's kind of awesome. Amazing. How is so, this not, how is this not like a movie or a series? Well, you know what? I, I didn't realize it until I was reading more about her. I was, did you, did you ever watch American Horror Story? No. I think it was the second season. They did an insane asylum one. And oh. there was a character who implanted herself into the insane asylum. And I guess it was like based a reference on Nellie to, Bly. Yeah. So Nellie Bly was the first like female journalist created like investigative journalism, I guess. But yeah, so I didn't really go into the whole around the world because I felt like that was like nothing compared to all the other stuff she did. Like putting herself into an insane asylum. Right. And weirdly enough, and I just noticed it today because I ended up looking her up again to make sure I didn't miss anything. They just put like a statue of her in what? New York. Yeah. They just like erected on Roosevelt Island where the, um, wasn't called Roosevelt Island when she did the, it, when she, right. yeah, was, where the hospital was. Yeah, yeah. They just put in, um, an outdoor monument honoring her. Cool. It's called the girl, the girl puzzle. And it's, uh, like five faces of sculptures of women. One of them is Nellie Bly. And then there's like anonymous female faces, like different ethnicities and stuff. Just because she was, you know, pro women and liked to write about like women in the workforce and um, mm. women's rights and stuff, and uh, and I think that around the the around the world in eighty days thing was just sensational. You know, it was just for like a gimmick because she wanted to see if she could do it, do it like the because the book had come out and it was so popular. Jules Verne is a Jules Verne book, right? 
think so. Yeah, I think so. And then she did it in like 72 days yeah. or 74 days she or something it. like that. Yeah. But then she famously um, got, had herself committed into, it was on Black, Blackwell Island. That was in 1887. Okay. So this is before her. Yeah. Her, okay. So she um, had herself committed, like did a lot of prep work, pretty much like was living in a boarding house, making herself like stay up all night. And everyone thought she was a lunatic. And then she ends up getting committed um, and was in there for 10 days. And then the she was working for um, the New York World Paper and they got her out because they knew she was in there writing the story. Yeah. And how fucking terrifying was that of them? I mean, what if they just couldn't get her out? Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> they take like, your rights away. I mean, and then, you know, she ended up writing a book and then like, I think it was like a six page, like a six part series, like of this investigative journalism into the treatment of, you know, mentally ill people and the change, like the standard of care in these hospitals. I assume it was pretty bad. I mean, yeah, but yeah, she's just an interesting woman. Then she ended up marrying some millionaire and then um, he ended up dying and she took over his manufacturing company and got all these, like she created all these patents and stuff, like all these inventions for like with oil manufacturing. And then, cause she had retired from writing while she was married with him. Her story, Nellie Bly's story is just begging to be at like a high, there's like, high like, budget there's like, series or something. But there's like really like low budget. Like, I think there was like a couple TV movies that were made about her, but nothing like legit. It needs to be like a cool, like a series, not like mm-hmm. a rushed movie. I think that'd be so cool. Yeah. I yeah. always thought she was awesome. Okay. Oh my God. So November 14th, 2001, this is sad. I don't mean to be a downer, but. The English actress Charlotte Coleman oh, yeah, so sad. died at 33 years old of an asthma attack. She's best known. So she's an English actress. She's best known for, she's like the funny friend in Four Weddings and a Funeral. I love her. I quote her all the time. She's like one of the funniest parts of that movie. Mm-hmm. And she was, she's been not, she was nominated twice for a BAFTA. How did an asthma attack? What is I guess she wasn't feeling well and her parents checked on her the next day and she had like was collapsed on the way to her medicine or something. It's horrifying. Yeah. Like how bad was that attack that? Yeah. Ugh. She kind of had a sad backstory too. Uh, I was reading about her. Like I think she battled with depression and stuff and yep, she had lost some... like lost like a fiance or a boyfriend or something, That's right. to something tragically, but yeah. And she wasn't in a lot of stuff. No, she wasn't. She wasn't. Yeah. She, that's the big role she was remembered for, at least for mm-hmm. Americans. Mm-hmm. So going to November 15th, I have 1986, November 15th, the Beastie Boys released their debut album, License to Ill. They had previous albums that were not like studio albums. That makes sense. They were like, I guess, amateur, more amateur. This was their first studio album. Reached number one on the Billboard 200 and charted again in 2012 after the death of MCA Adam Yach. Remember, he died of cancer, um, mm-hmm. like neck cancer sad rolling stone ranks the album at 219 on its list of the 500 greatest albums of all time and in 2013 named named it the best debut album of all time that is one of those albums that like i know the next song like i like i have all the songs in my head in order it's really weird because i've listened to it so many so many times it's mm-hmm. so good so good what was the year that came out that was 1986 november 15 1986 yeah that's wild and then <laughs> November 15th, 1990, uh, Millie Vanilli admits to not <laughs> singing on their album. Oh, poor Millie Vanilli. Yeah. They are sad. You, st- you know, I think initially everyone was pretty mad, like kind of like we've been tricked. But so I don't know if you remember, but they gave a cringy press conference uh, trying to explain themselves. And they they even sang. Remember that? They sang, Oh, yeah. They, they tried. tried to, oh. Yeah. <laughs> So, so it's like it's so awkward. That that video of it, like, is that the one there? They there's actual video of it, like skipping, right? Yes. So um they're they're, they're like running Rob, off the stage. That's right. What, um Rob Pilatus and Fab Morvan are their names. And they were scouted. They were like, you know, some some record producer was like, I'm gonna make like a hot duo, like male duo. And he this was in Europe. They were scouted, and that was in '88. And they recorded an album. They had studio backup singers. The final cut does not have Rob or Fab on it at all. Like basically they were in there recording it, thought they were recording this album, but when it went to the editing, 
you know, the st- editing stage, they were completely eliminated. I guess that's how bad, how bad they sounded or whatever. So they toured Europe. Everybody was like, oh, the, these guys are great. And they're like, but we're not singing. And the guy was like, don't worry about it. Their, their manager was like, don't worry about it. Just lip sync. It's not about, you know, it's fine. The, what, what happened was I don't think that anyone expected them to get so popular. <laughs> their album uh, led to five, it was five major hits. So by in the U.S. by March 1989, they were already like t- ready to tour the U.S. It was a big deal. And then, but people st- did start to wonder about their lip lip syncing because on like MTV and stuff, they'd be interviewed and they had very, very thick, like German accents, mm-hmm. but you heard the songs and there's not really much in their, their, it, they sing in perfect, not only perfect English, but with no accent. So that it's not, you know, that was a little suspicious in July, 1989, the record that was playing the digital record, they were playing live. It started skipping. Um, it skipped and jammed and they were playing, um, girl, you know, it's true. And that's when you can watch it on YouTube. It's like, basically like, girl, you know, it's girl, you know, it's, and just keeps getting like, and it's so weird. And, and Pilatus, that's, um, Rob Pilatus, he runs off stage panics. It's like the jig is up and he runs off stage and downtown, downtown Julie Brown (laughs) finds him and talks him into going back out there. Nobody even fucking noticed. Nobody in the crowd even noticed. They're just like, I didn't even think of it. I don't know if they thought like, oh, well, we just assume they all. Well, all these I feel like I don't know. so many people do lip sync. So yes. maybe it wasn't like, I mean. Also like kind of in the chaos of like a concert, maybe you just, I don't know. Maybe yeah. you thought it was his mic or something. I don't know. So nobody noticed anyway. In December, 1989, irritated by the claim on the album, insert that Morvan and Pilatus were the vocals on the album. One of the three actual singers, his name is Charles Shaw. He came out and publicly stated that the duo was imp- were imposters. So all the rumors were kind of like catching up to them. And then just Charles Shaw, like, you know, blew the roof off of it. Um, they were sued by various consumer class action suits and their attempt at having a real music career that, you know, with their actual voices tanked. Unfortunately, Pilatus, um, Rob Pilatus, had, he had turned to drugs and crime. And in 1998, he died of an overdose, which is sad. Because, you know, they just... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, how do you get... Nominious, like, yeah. You can't get over that or past that. And I no. love them. I oh love that God. album. I did too. Daniel, <sighs> he's, like, did you, he's like, did you actually like their songs? I was like, yeah. I've, and there's, a, there's an edit. There's one of them. I think it's Don't Forget My Number. That mm-hmm. is, like, hard to find. Because I guess because they're a European label, it was first released in Europe. Like the one that we heard on our radio stations when we were kids, you can't like buy it now. Huh. So I still hear it like on the radio, but like you can't, you can't like get it. And I don't even know if it's on Spotify, you know, like it's not act, hmm. like I can't access it, but I thought their music was great. I thought their hits were amazing. I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. I totally, I was devastated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were a black arm man. You had, I mean, they were, they were also so cool looking with their like biker shorts. Oh yeah. Biker shorts everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) Remember that? They did have biker shorts. Yeah, they were biker shorts everywhere. And their long flowing hair. Yeah. And they were like, they were very striking. Their scarves, their head scarves, and then their biker shorts. I think they were kind of, because they were so like striking looking, that's probably, the guy was probably like, eh, I don't care if they can sing, just dance around on stage, you know? Yeah. They, they look good and people are going to want to watch their videos and see them sing. Right. Uh, poor guys. I wonder what happened to the other dude. Yeah, I don't know. They're, I mean, they're all kind of, mm. you know, I don't know. Sad. And then also what happened to the piece of shit record producer that was like orchestrated the whole thing. So November 16th, 1965, Epcot Center opens. I did not know this. Epcot stands for Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. I've never been to Epcot Center. Have you been? Epcot in, Dis- in Disney World? Oh, yeah. you're a Disneyland person. Yeah. That's right. I've been oh, to yeah. Disney World, but I didn't go to Epcot. Yeah, I've been to Epcot a couple times. Is it fun? Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's not like, uh, I didn't love it as a kid when we went as kids because there's not like that many it's like rides educational, and stuff. right? Yeah, it's kind of boring. But then I went back as an adult and that was great because, you know, you could just drink your way around different countries. And So it's like a global kind of, that's Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, um. Yeah, like I think I went. We went back and had dinner in like Morocco or something. That that's night. fun. Yeah, it's a that's definitely a cool experience, but it's not kid. I don't think it's focused. Maybe it is now. I haven't been there in years, but yeah. Oh yeah, I keep forgetting. You're like 
I think of you as like the Disney person, but it's right. not not Disney World. I'm also uniquely Disneyland. I'm not really in California Adventure. Like I'm not really like I don't like Disney movies and paraphernalia and stuff like that. So I'm not like a mouse head, you know. But I do Just love Disney. Disneyland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which you just were at, which is I was great. just there. Yeah, we went for um, they had this like a ticketed Christmas party event. Oh God, it was expensive. It was like Daniel and my uh, Christmas gift to each other, and it was it was fun because Disneyland's fun and it's it was less crowded than it. Christmas is bananas. I bet bananas at Disneyland, and um, and we've only gone one other time at Christmas time, and it was like we had passes, so we didn't really care if we got on right. We just walked around, but like I remember. There's a really, really charming overlay like that they do for Small World. The wait was like three hours the first time we went. And then when we went for this ticket event, we waited 15 minutes. So we oh, went, that's nice. You got yeah, to do I had never been on it because I was like, I'm not waiting three hours. I don't care what it is. I'm not waiting for three hours. It's is it worth, so, was it worth a three-hour wait? No, but it was so <laughs> – I wouldn't wait three hours for anything, but it was so cute. It's just like adorable. They just Christmas-fy and everything, mm-hmm. and it's very, very, very charming. And um, yeah, it was that was fun. But I'm not, you know, I don't remember. I told you I don't like the starting with Little Mermaid. Oh right, yeah, you don't like the now. newer stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just like too like Broadwayish. I don't know. I like old Disney stuff. Don't get started on your anti-musical. I'm kind of a, a brat about that. It's all right. Okay, moving on from Disney. Oh, and I, do, I just want to touch upon this because I don't want to give away anything. But November seventeenth, eighteen ninety four. Serial killer H.H. Holmes is arrested in Boston. And all I want to say is that to our listeners, Lauren and I love the book Devil in the White City. It's excellent. Read it. Don't Google H.H. Holmes. We're not going to tell you about him. Read that book before it gets turned into a crappy series. Well, they're Martin Scorsese. And they have been saying that for five years. Yeah, that's what I'm like. Where is this? Uh, and Leonardo DiCaprio, where is this uh, series or movie or whatever the hell you're going to do? Yeah. First it was a movie, then they were trying to say series. I don't know if it's ever going to happen. But anyway, the book's always better. Read the book. It's so good. Love that book. So good. Amazing. Devil in the White City. Uh, Eric Larson, that's the name? Yep. Uh, yeah, Eric Larson. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, this is kind of funny. November 17th, 1944, Danny DeVito is born. So I just want to do a side thing here that um, we have all, there's been a running joke in my family that my dad looks like Danny DeVito. I mean, it's not so much a joke as like accurate. The man looks like Danny DeVito. He's, they're both short. They're both like balding, dark haired men. And I found out, I found out in researching his birthday that he was born two weeks after my dad, the same year, 1944, Mm. gets weirder in the same town in New Jersey. Now, when I say the same town in New Jersey, I'm not saying like Jersey City or Newark or Neptune, New Jersey. Is your dad the real twin in the I know. twins <laughs> with Danny DeVito? My dad is the, the Irish Danny DeVito. Isn't that weird? That's really weird. That's such a weird coincidence, I think. Anyway, so, uh, or like Daniel and I were joking about it. We were like, is there like some pint-sized Lothario that was making his way around Neptune, <laughs> New Jersey? <laughs> in 1944, like knocking up all these ladies, these Jersey housewives. He had a, he had a hot run of like a <laughs> month. <laughs> that's funny um so anyway yeah okay i'm not going to de- deep dive this but it bears mentioning november 18th 1978 is the jonestown massacre uh murder of god you could do a whole oh, it's terrible you could do a whole podcast on just that 1978 seems to be an odd year i don't it's very strange Ugh, that's, that, i'm sorry that that whole yeah it was crazy. really it's really really bad I'm going to jump to uh, November 20th, 1983, Terms of Endearment premieres. Mm. I love, love that movie. One of my favorite movies. It's one of the movies that I know I'm going to weep every time Guaranteed. I see it. And it's always the same part. It's the part, oh, when yeah, she's talking, the part when she's talking to her kids, when she's saying goodbye to them in the hospital. Really? That part when the little boy is trying and he's just like, and he's, she's like, I think it went really well. And his he's little, little face I, in the doorway. Oh, Oh Every God. time, that's the part that kills me. Oh, by the me. way, like, spoiler alert. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but that. Oh, I start way scene. earlier. I start when she's on the phone. You don't hear the conversation, but you see 
Shirley McLean. Shirley McLean's character hang up and she like grabs the housekeeper and she's like, Rosie, our girl. Oh, girl. our girl. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh. Yeah, that's sad too. No, I don't. Even when I was a kid, just that kid scene, I don't know. That little. Terrible. The, the, the little boy was so good in it. Like he looks so yeah. sad in his little chin and he's just like. And he's so mad at the older brother because the older brother. Oh, so yeah. Mean. He's such a and jerk. He's like, I know. It. Yeah. He's like trying to defend his mom. Oh, poor <sighs> Terrible. I know. So, yeah, that movie is magical. It's, it's so funny and so sweet and so everything. So it won Best Picture that the year. Uh, it came out in 83 and it won in 84. It was written, directed, and produced by James L. Brooks. And it's based on the book, a book of the same name by Larry McMurtry. Larry McMurtry. Did he write? Lonesome Dove. Yeah, I think that he wrote, I looked him up after it and he wrote um, other stuff. I have to, I'm looking him up because now that name's going to drive me crazy. Last Picture Show. Yeah, Lonesome Dove. It was? Oh, he won the Pulitzer for Lonesome Dove in 85. I never read it. I read it. that. Is it good? Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know that I would like Westerns. Did uh, Yeah, it's not, it doesn't feel, it doesn't read like a, like. Oh, okay. I don't even know. Saga, right? It's like a series. Yeah, and I don't know what made me, um. I don't know, but I remember really, 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 really enjoying that. My dad loves the, remember there was like a TV miniseries. Remember when the yeah, yeah, uh-huh, miniseries yeah. were a big deal? Um, I know. They should, bring, they should bring those back. Yeah. The TV ones like um, mm-hmm. Roots and uh, War and Remembrance and mm-hmm. what's the one? Shaka Zulu. Remember Shaka Zulu? There, anyway, I, those, that was a big deal in the 80s to have TV. They were like TV movies, but they were like a series. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so Jack Nicholson's character was written for Burt Reynolds, but he turned it down because he he felt he had made a commitment to another project, and then he regretted it. So that's kind of a bummer. But he's trying to be like a good person. Uh, Harrison Ford and Paul Newman also turned down the role. Hmm. It's amazing because I cannot picture anyone else other than Jack Nicholson as that role. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's like fourth fourth choice. Harrison Ford is the same age. Like, like, yeah, that I don't been... think it works. No, he's like too young. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm saying like, he had to be kind of like a washed up kind of like, we, and he's basically a peer to Shirley MacLaine's character. Right. 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 He's like in her fifties or whatever. Hmm. Part of the film is shot in Lincoln, Nebraska. And this is interesting while filming Deborah Winger met the, the then governor of Nebraska, Bob Carey, and they dated for two years. It's random. It is random. There was tension on the set between Deborah Winger and Shirley MacLaine and Nicholson because he was difficult to work with. Uh, he was often spontaneous and, you know, went off script or whatever. Um, the scene <laughs> the scene where he grabs Shirley MacLaine's boob was not in the screenplay. <laughs> Can you imagine? No. Can you imagine? That means, that means her anger is legit there when she's mm-hmm. like, what are you doing? Remember, she's the, he's got her hand down her blouse and she's like, get it out of there! <laughs> wasn't in the script that's amazing to me oh, yeah, i love that scene didn't but there's always stories that she didn't get along with deborah wingers like yes Shirley, that's right they, i think they, they none of them liked each other I don't yeah think. or at least maybe they liked jack nicholson but he was a pain in the ass but deborah winger and shirley mcclain didn't yeah. really get along deborah winger was so cute she was so cute um and she kind of like she would like do something and then disappear yep and, you know mm-hmm. she's great though uh, it was nominated for nine Oscars and won five. Uh, the five at one were Best Director, Best Picture, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Actress, and that was Shirley MacLaine, but there was also a Best a best Actress nom for um, Deborah Winger as well. Oh, and I love the score. So I looked at the mm-hmm. score. Uh, it was written by Michael Gore. It was um, nominated for Best Original Score, but lost to the right stuff. Mm. And it also won four Golden Globes. It's one of my, we just talked about one of my all-time favorite movies, but I also recently learned, Daniel was telling me that it's one of Judd Apatow's favorite movie and he uses it kind of as like, you know, something to emulate when he makes a movie, you know, it has everything in it. It's funny. It's actually kind of very funny at times. It's, you Mm -hmm. know, it's a very funny movie. And then it's, it's got trauma and tragedy and it's just got everything in it. And um, so anyway, so that's that. Oh, this is another premiere at November 21st, 1976, uh, Rocky premieres. Good old Rocky. I mean, it's classic. You're in, you're near Philly. Uh, Sylvester Stallone ins- was inspired by a fight between Muhammad Ali and underdog Chuck Wepner, and he wrote the screenplay in less than four days. It was shopped to various studios but refused because Stallone was like, I want to play Rocky, and he wasn't budging on that. They wanted like a bigger, you know, someone, they wanted someone to draw people in. 
film was low budget. So a lot of the extras in the background, like in the crowd scenes are actually like Stallone's family members. Uh-huh. Uh, Susan Sarandon was rejected for the role of Adrian because she was too pretty. They said the original script had Rocky throwing the fight and deciding that he didn't want to be a boxer at all. This wasn't for him. I think the one in the ending of the movie is so much better. Yeah. Thank God. Then we wouldn't have 14 million Rockies afterwards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All those sequels. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I just think it's cool that like people often forget that Rocky loses. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's an underdog movie, but the underdog loses. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, <laughs> Rocky and Adrian's first date when they, they remember they skate on the empty ice mm-hmm. rink because Rocky bribes his way in. That was concocted by the producers because they, if they went to an actual ice rink that was like during business hours, they didn't have the money to pay off all the, to pay the people that would be in there to be in the shot. Um, the musical score was written by Bill Conti who went on to win the Oscar for best original score for the right stuff, which then beat terms of endearments, original score by Michael Gore. He was not, I'm sorry. He wasn't nominated for best original score. He was nominated for best original song. I had the tiger. Gonna fly now is Bill. Oh. <laughs> I had the tiger is. Um, yeah, who's saying that? Isn't that only in the second one, or is that in both? I can't remember. Wait, Jake, was I the tiger in the first Rocky? Oh, he said it was in three. Wow, Jake, that's impressive. And that's Survivor. Yeah, it was a theme song for the 1982 film Rocky Three. Jake for the win. Okay. So it was nominated for 10 Oscars and won three best picture, best director and best film editing. So it never, it didn't win the best uh, original song. Yeah. So I don't know. It's a pretty great movie. I'd like to say that I was like too cool for it, but I loved it as a kid and I think it's good now. I haven't seen it in a long time though. I liked it. I I can't say that I, I can't say that I love it. I I think I love like Rocky three because it reminds me of being a kid and watching that Mm. all the time. But the first one, I mean, it's, yeah, it's good. How freaking gritty does Philly look in the first one? Oh my God. There's like no buildings. So weird. When he runs up on the steps, they show the skyline. There's like nothing there. No. You can see the city hall. That's about it. I don't know. Yeah. I I never, I never, I don't know. I feel like I I always thought that I'm I'm probably going to burn in hell, but I always thought it was kind of boring. Just don't say that you hate the Godfather on here because then you'll get hate mail. (laughs) No, (laughs) no, 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 no. But yeah, I don't, the other ones just remind me of being a kid, not the first one necessarily. Yeah. I mean, I guess we watched it on TV or something. I mean, obviously I didn't see it in the theater or maybe my dad rented it. I don't know. All those movies were always on TV. They were, yeah. Mm-hmm. Some more yeah. than others. Some, some, it seems like they just decided to play them on repeat. Like I feel like I saw them a hundred times, but mm-hmm. yeah. November 21st, we're still on November 21st, 1980. The TV show Dallas reveals who shot JR in the episode Who Done It. This was so weird to me. I mean, I realized TV was different back then. We don't get the kind of viewership today, and there was like five channels, but still. A record of over 83 million people watched that episode. That's 76% of the TV viewing audience. What the fuck? People were making like t-shirts and shit about it. I mean, I remember remember being older and like, uh, like who killed Laura Palmer. Yes, like I, I, not that many people were that interested in it as they were who killed Jr. But right. I mean, well, I think it was kind of unprecedented. This and thing. I think when you think about it back then, like you watched a movie, like it's hard for me to remember watching a show in real time where you had to yes. wait a whole summer to find out what happens. Like that's right. like you get like a cliffhanger, and then you're Let like, alone a week. Yeah. yeah, now I got to wait four months to find out what happened. Yeah, it's. Uh, but yeah, people were freaking obsessed with that. That's what we call a television event. <sighs> mm-hmm. And it well, was. the finales are that. Like, remember, um, uh, one of the most watched TV moments in history was the the final episode of MASH. Mm-hmm. Seinfeld yep. was broadcast in Times Square, the last episode of Seinfeld. That, you know, yeah. Happens a Big lot. Big deals. Mm-hmm. Okay. So are you ready for this doozy? November 22nd, 1963. Oh, man. Hit us with it. John F. Kennedy assassinated. So this is like quick and dirty because literally multi-thousand page books have been written on this and you read one. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, um, what is that co- book called? It was just the year, isn't right? Isn't it just 11, 20? Yeah, yeah. It was just, eight, just the date. Uh, yeah. 63? Yeah. It was just the date. Yeah. The Stephen King book. Did you Did you like it? Loved it. Mm-hmm. I loved he, it. I know he did copious, copious, copious research for that. I mean. Yeah. And I didn't realize that when I, you know, when I bought the book, I knew it was like about, you know 
the assassination or uh, the, the attempt to stop the assassination because it's right. time it's time travel. But I didn't know it was going to go into so much stuff with Lee Harvey Oswald and all that, like that yeah. backstory, which is shit. I never even, they don't touch on that in school. No, they don't. That's <laughs> I, was at all. I was shocked. Yeah. But um, that book's, so- that book's great. I'll tell anyone to read that book because. I think I might read that one just because I love history and I feel like. Well, that's the thing. It's got a lot of like the history nuggets in there. And then it's got this, you know, fantastic time travel piece and it's got like you know the love story that goes on in it and um it's just a really great book it's just a great great book it's a good read i think i i I would tell anyone to read it okay i might check that one out so i'm gonna back up a little bit and mention lee harvey oswald's life really briefly he was a weirdo so he was born in new orleans on october 18th 1939 his father died when he was young and his mother Uh, was not very affectionate or loving. He grew up in Dallas, Texas, and in New York City. He was a mediocre student. He was withdrawn and temperamental. He had social and emotional issues, and he spent time in a juvenile reformatory for disciplinary problems. So he had issues. He honestly just kind of seems like an odd duck, doesn't he? Like in the footage they show of, like, just seems Mm -hmm. strange. Maybe not firing on all cylinders, I don't know. In 1956, Oswald joins the U.S. Marine Corps, where his disciplinary problems continued. He left the Marine Corps in 1959 after requesting a hardship discharge, claiming that his mother was ill, which was a lie. He just wanted out. And that same year, in October 1959, he traveled to the USSR, intending to become a Soviet citizen and renounce his U.S. citizenship. I had no sure. idea. Sure. Yeah, let's just, let's just so decide weird. to do that. And by the way, at this point, he's 20 years old. I mean, so weird. So um, from a young age, he, he claimed that from a young age, he identified as a communist and he even offered military intelligence from his time as a Marine. I don't think he had much to give, but they, uh, yeah, <laughs> even the Russians officials thought he was weird and they were like, okay. And they gave him a job in a factory in Belarus. And in 1961, two years later, he met and married Marina Prusakova, a Russian, she was a Russian woman. And their, their first child was born in February, 1962. He lived in the USSR until June of 1962, when he was granted permission to come back to the United States with his wife and baby daughter. And at that point, he was 23 years old. In March of 1963, this is where it gets even weirder, he fires a shot, like from a gun, at retired U.S. Major General Edwin Walker. Like, basically in a, a shitty attempted assassination. And he did this because Walker was a segregationist and an anti-communist. So I'm actually kind of okay with it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, not on, I'm not on Team Oswald. But um, he missed the shot, and he was not suspected of this. He, didn't, he was never a suspect, and it didn't come out until after um, he, he killed Kennedy. Uh, in April 1963, he traveled to New Orleans, and he tried to infiltrate an anti-Castro organization. And he tried to open a branch office of a pro-Castro Castro organization. In September of 1963, so we're getting close now, um, he traveled to Mexico and visited the USSR and the Cuban embassies there, trying to get a visa to Cuba and then to the USSR. So a lot of um, investigators think that this may have been his like plan to set up like an es- escape his route. Ex- his exit yeah. strategy. Yeah. After this failed attempt at getting a visa to Cuba, he goes back to Dallas and gets a job in a now infamous book depository. Uh, but at this point... He's on the FBI and the CIA radars. Finally, I mean, how many many trips to to Russia? (laughs) What do you have to do? Like, geez, I log into my Facebook and I'm on their radar, but this guy was like, like living in Russia and like, and the FBI even visits his wife when he's not at home and interviews her twice. And um, he hears about this and he goes to the FBI offices in Dallas and he leaves a threatening note saying, you know, stay the fuck away from my house, whatever. Unfortunately, the existence of this note is hearsay because it was destroyed. It was ordered to be destroyed by an FBI agent once Oswald was announced as the guy who assassinated Kennedy, which is so doesn't make why? any sense. Yeah, why would why? If anything, that just like helps the cause that he was, you know, off his a little bit off his nut rocker. So a few days before the assassination, the motorcade route is published in local papers. The day before the assassination. Oswald brings a large, long package hmm, seems, seems legit, <laughs> to work with him, and uh, which we now know contained a rifle. I think he said something stupid, like um, it was like curtain rods or something that he was working on. 
Uh, these are my skis, my ski balls. <laughs> it reminds me of like when um, Pee Wee, at the end of Pee Wee's Big Adventure, when he's trying to, he hands Mickey the foot long and it's got yeah. the razor, <laughs> the nail file on it. <laughs> oh, that's so true. So obvious. Well, I love that movie. It's an American classic. <laughs> so then, of course, November 22nd, 1963, 12.30 p.m., as the president's motorcade is passing through Dealey Plaza, Lee Harvey Oswald fires three shots from the sixth floor of the book depository. One bullet misses entirely. Uh, one bullet hits the president and the governor of Texas, John Connolly, and it actually injures the governor severely. And the third bullet strikes the president in the head. Have you seen Jackie, that movie Jackie? Mm-mm. It's It's kind of a weird format. It's kind of like they're interviewing... It's like an interview of Jackie Kennedy and then it goes back and like there's, you know, it's like a movie where they, it gets like reenactment, reenacted and shown. It was kind of slow, but also kind of interesting from a historical perspective. If you notice on the motorcade, I don't want to be too like gory here, but if you notice on the the weird shots we've all seen a hundred times where they show the president and Jackie in her pink suit and you can see them sitting on the back of the, the uh, convertible the shots ring out and she's like reaching backward before the car like speeds away. And I guess she admit, admitted in an interview that I know it's totally irrational. She knew knows it's totally irrational, but she was actually reaching for the, the, her husband's brain matter because she was like, you know, like if you lose a finger, you're supposed to grab it, like put it on ice. And like, she was just thinking like, it's part of him and I need to get it. Like I need to have it. Like mm. they may need, they may need it or whatever. Really Ugh. sad. Well, yeah, because you see her, like, on the back of the car. Yeah, she's leaning back. And I think a lot of people thought, like, oh, is she trying to, like, um, flag down the, you know, they trot along the, what are those guys called? Secret Service. They trot along mm-hmm. the, the car and the motorcade. And he does, no. actually, he does jump on, you saw the guy, he jumps on the back and they drive to the hospital and he's literally holding on to the back of the car, but that's not what she's doing. No, I remember hearing that, like, she's, she was, like, kind of, like, scooping it. Right? Yes, yes. It's so sad. And it, she, in this this movie, the they talk about how, a lot of Kennedy's cabinet was really pissed off at Johnson because he insisted on a, on being sworn in on the plane, like on the plane that's carrying Jackie Kennedy and the corpse of the president. He's like, I, I need to be sworn in right now. And so they, they tried to get Jackie to change because they knew it had to be photographed or whatever, the swearing in. She refused. She's like, fuck that. Take a picture of me with my husband's blood all over my dress. Yeah, right. Piece of shit. Ugh. Like, cause he was just, he is kind of, and Johnson was kind of an asshole. Anyway. Um, a witness, so third shots ring out. A witness identifies a man standing in the book depository window as the shooter. Like, you know, the gun shots came from up there, points up there. On his way out of the building, Oswald comes upon the first responding officer and his supervisor. Like the Oswald supervisor is walking up the stair or trotting up the stairs with the cop. The, the cop pulls his gun on Oswald because they're looking for a guy who shot the president. The supervisor's like, oh, he works here. And they're like, oh, okay, whatever. And they keep going. And they, like, no one puts it together. I don't, I mean, it was just pandemonium. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And he, Oswald slips out of the building right before they sealed off the building, which probably should have been the first order of business before the cop even went inside. Just like, don't let anybody leave. Don't let anybody enter Mm -hmm. unless they're cops. He gets on a bus, uh, heads back to his, he was living in, during the week, he lived at a boarding house in the city instead of at home with his wife he was there he would go home on the weekends so it goes into his boarding house he's there for a few minutes and he leaves this is now about uh 1 p.m he's walking down the street and a dallas patrolman pulls up next to him that that guy's name is officer uh jd tippett pulls alongside oswald probably because oswald matched the description that was now on like the all points bulletins and he starts talking to him parks the car gets out Oswald shoots him four times with um with a handgun he had procured. So he had bought a handgun and he bought the rifle, left the rifle at the book depository, had the handgun on him. Now he's running, right? Now it's the people have seen him running with a gun away from this poor dead cop. A witness sees him slip into a movie theater. And the witness runs up and says to the ticket guy in the ticket booth, he says, I think the guy that just shot Kennedy is just ran into the theater. So naturally police arrive, house lights come up. Oswald makes a reach for his gun, but the cop is there too soon and apprehends him. Then he's a witness several by several people. He's identified, you know, running from the, the shooting of the police officer and running into the theater. 
Okay, so after his arrest, he's famously on caught on film, and you can watch it. It's been played a million times. And he says, I didn't shoot anybody. They've taken me in because, I, because of the fact that I lived in the Soviet Union. I'm just a patsy. So that, uh, that I'm just a patsy remark is, uh, few, helped fuel a lot of conspiracy theories about the shooting. Uh, Oswald denied shooting both President and Patrolman Tippett, claiming that he was eating his lunch in the depository's lunchroom and that there were two employees in there that can vouch for him. The two employees are interviewed. One says, yeah, there was someone else in the room, but I don't remember who it was. And the other one says, I don't think there was anyone else in the room. I think we were eating there alone. So they, that's not a good witness. Nobody has, nobody can um, vouch for his alibi. More evidence against him. There were links made between an alias that Oswald used and the purchasing, the alias used to purchase the guns. There is a photograph. I mean, you can't get any more. There's a photo of Oswald standing in his yard holding both guns. I mean... <laughs> He claimed it was a he claimed it was a doctored photo, right? Mm. Experts have looked at it; they don't think it's doctored. So on November twenty fourth, that's two days later, right? Yeah, two days later, November twenty fourth, he's being escorted from police headquarters while news cameras are rolling. No nightclub owner Jack Ruby emerges from the crowd in the hallway, and just before firing, what you can hear one of the police detectives yell, "Jack, you son of a bitch!" <laughs> And it's a I good guess, impression. Yeah. I guess they knew this. I mean, he's like a, um, he had mob connections. He was kind of like a, you know, he's a nightclub owner. So he had like mm-hmm. a little, sh- kind of a little shady. At the news that Oswald had been shot, the crowd outside and the headquarters burst into applause. Oswald is pronounced dead two hours later. Ruby claims that he had been distraught after the president was killed and that, he, and his motive was, quote, I wanted to save Mrs. Kennedy from the discomfort comforture of the coming trial. The fact that Ruby shot Oswald feeds conspiracy theories about mob ties to the assassination because as a nightclub owner, Ruby had ties to organized crime. Shortly after the events surrounding the president's murder, President Johnson issues an executive order creating the Warren Commission to investigate the assassination. This commission concludes that Oswald acted alone and could not find one motive or group of motives explaining Oswald's actions. Uh, investigations by the White House Select Committee on Assassinations largely agrees with the Warren report. And I, but there is this interesting quote from G. Robert Blake, Blakey. He was the chief counsel for the House Select Committee on Assassinations from 1977 to 1979. There were several congressional investigating committees on this. So this is the quote. He says, The most plausible explanation for the murder of Oswald by Jack Ruby was that Ruby had stalked him on behalf of organized crime, trying to reach him on at least three occasions in the 48 hours before he was able to silence him forever. So he had apparently turned up at other places where um, Oswald was being questioned. Sounds like he was following him, looking Mm -hmm. for an opportunity. More conspiracy theorist evidence is that audio evidence taken from a motorcycle policeman's radio seems to indicate more than three shots, but this was has always been controversial, and various groups have investigated the audio and determined that it was not evidence of multiple shooters. Uh, and the officer who from whose radio this audio was found himself says, I was not in Dealey Plaza yet. I was en route. I was not there yet. So it couldn't, re- it couldn't have recorded extra, you know, for more than three shots. The, oh, I mentioned this already, the photos of Oswald posing with the murder weapons in his in his yard. He claimed they were doctored. As recently as a few years ago, they've been looked into and they the experts don't think they were doctored. His Oswald's wife admitted to taking the pictures. I mean, she didn't, you know. And then, but I thought this was interesting. A 2013 Gallup poll revealed that a staggering 61% of Americans believe President Kennedy was killed as a result of a conspiracy. The prevailing theory is that the CIA hired the mob to kill Kennedy because he was planning to rein in the agency. Now, I also want to add here, because I I love a good conspiracy theory. I have a very healthy distrust of government and authority. And I have always believed that the CIA killed Kennedy. He famously, Kennedy famously wanted to scatter the CIA to the four winds. He wanted the, the agency to, its power was gross. They were over toppling governments all over, you know, they were doing gross covert stuff and he, he, he didn't want them to do that anymore. And I think they didn't want to lose that power. So that being said, Oswald can still have posed with guns in his yard. He still could have, you know, been trying to defect to Russia and still been 
put up to shoot Kennedy, right? I mean, there's no mm-hmm. there's no reason why. I mean, it lends credence to the concept of like, well, he was a bit, you know, a bit of a agitator and maybe a little uh, unstable. But you know, he took a shot. The only the previous shot he took at someone was a, a racist, and Kennedy wasn't a racist. Ken, you know, Kennedy, if anything, was was usher, ushering a new era of. Uh, more progressive policy. Yeah, it's just they could never really even find a motive for him. Yeah, there's no motive for him to have. It's weird. Yeah, it is weird. The I mean, whole I thing guess. is the whole the whole thing is bizarre, and there's lots of holes, and it's kind of crazy. It's a crazy story. Yeah, I think it's possible that the CIA. You think it's possible that he's a patsy? <laughs> I do. Well, <laughs> I think that they probably noticed Oswald first when he fucking lied to get out of the Marines and went straight to Russia. Like, oh yeah, he's like the he was like the perfect uh the perfect um yeah like if they're gonna get someone scapegoat. to shoot the president get the little shit who ran off to Russia and married a brought his Russian bride back to the U S and you know has tried mm-hmm. multiple times to defect it's perfect you know yep. Americans at that time hated Russia and and communism like this perfect so anyway you know I did not know that about Oswald I think it's interesting I'm I'm still a conspiracy theorist about the Kennedy assassination but you know I'm open to being proven wrong. I don't think we'll ever get proven wrong, frankly. It's one of those things. We're never yeah. going to know. Which brings me to the next topic, which we will also never find the truth to. This is November 22nd. November 22nd, 1987. Two Chicago TV stations are hijacked by a mysterious Max Headroom transmitter. This is so weird. I don't remember you this did, at did all. You not, did, when, you re, when you saw my notes, was this the first time you'd heard of it? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know. I was shocked by this because I love. I mean, I remember Max Hedrum as yeah, a yeah, weird absolutely. character from the yeah, 80s, yeah. but I didn't remember this whole thing with like dildos and shit yeah. coming onto the TV. <laughs> it's so weird. I, so, and I love Unsolved Mystery. Like, I love the like lowercase. I love the show, but I mean, I love like a good Unsolved Mystery. And uh, and I, I was like, how did I, I didn't hear about this till I was like in my 30s? It's so weird. So, just to give, because we might have people listening that are not 100 years old, uh, Max Hedrum was a you know, a fake AI character that was everywhere in the eighties. He was sort of futuristic. He was supposed to be like, he was a robot. He would like stutter, like he was getting caught in like a, you know, transmission. Uh, He had a very modern background and a modern look. And he kind of looked like a a robot human, like a, you know, but he was actually a a real human, an actor who was wearing like prosthetic makeup. What was his shtick? Was he like just did he, did he commercials and stuff? Like he was a, whoever created him made him spokesman for Coke at one point, right? And, like soda and stuff. And he just kind of was like a weird pop culture character. And they, yeah, like it was kind of weird. Remember they even show him in um, Back to the Future. Remember they go to the cafe eighties. Remember and it's like oh right right, like, right yeah he takes your order uh-huh. doesn't he? he uh-huh. Take your order. Yeah uh huh. And the second one uh huh. Yeah he's he was everywhere. So this hijacking is referred to as an act of broadcast piracy. Two TV stations in Chicago, WGN-TV and WTTW, experienced interruptions in their broadcast featuring a still unidentified person in a Max Headroom mask. The first interruption that night was during the sports segment of WGN's 9 p.m. newscast. Viewer screens went black for 15 seconds. Then the per- the, this person dressed as Max Headroom appears. Uh, there's buzzing and like staticiness, and the WGN that the network's engineers were able to switch the frequency of the signal, and it deactivated the interruption. So it went back to normal, and the whole that whole thing lasted only about 28 seconds. He never even said anything. Then a little over two hours later, at 11:20 p.m., during WTW's broadcast of Doctor Who, there was an interruption by the same person disguised as, uh, you know, dressed as Max Headroom. This time with distorted speaking audio. And I'm just going to read this bananas quote because it's just so fucking weird. It is really um, weird. This is just what, how Wikipedia with several like, citations it explains it, what he did in that, in that second interruption. The masked figure made a comment about nerds, apparently, <laughs> calling, apparently calling WGN sports, sportscaster Chuck Swirsky a quote-unquote Frickin' liberal held up a can of Pepsi while saying "Catch the wave," which was a slogan from an ad campaign for Coca-Cola featuring the Max Headroom character, and held up a middle finger inside what appeared to be a hollowed-out dildo. (laughs) 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 The figure then ran through a series of quick comments and song snippets 
interspersed with excited noises and exclamations. Max, the character, sang the phrase, the phrase, your love is fading, hummed part of the theme song to the 1959 animated series Clutch Cargo and said, I still see the X. This was a reference to the last episode of that show, which is sometimes misheard as I stole CBS. Bizarre. Uh, he also feigned defecation and explained that he had, quote, made a giant masterpiece for all the greatest world <laughs> newspaper nerds, WGN's call letters or world's greatest newspaper. And discussed sharing a pair of dirty gloves with his brother. I mean, what? So weird. It's all over the place. After a crude video edit, this person had moved mostly off screen to the left with his partially exposed buttocks visible from the <laughs> side with a female figure appearing on the right edge of the frame. The unworn Max Headroom mask, so it's been taken off of his head, with the dildo placed inside the mouth is briefly held into view, view while the voice cries out, oh no, they're coming for me. Ah, make it stop. The female figure begins thanking Max with a fly swatter. The image <laughs> fades into static. Can we find this on YouTube? You can watch it. And I, honestly, the first time I watched it, I was like, this is too weird for me. And I gave up. I, I was like, I, I don't even, so I didn't even get to like the dildo part. Bizarre. So there were no engineers on duty at WTTW station that night to switch the frequency, which is why it was allowed to go on for a whopping 90 seconds. And the only reason it went off is because this weirdo was done. He was done getting spanked with spice <laughs> water and throwing a dildo around the stage and rambling on about liberals. The pirates were able to interrupt these stations by using a more powerful microwave link transmission. You know, it was more powerful than the, the link that the two stations had. And it had to have been done by uh, very intelligent people who knew this really well, and they had to have been able to see the two frequency towers, the station's broadcast towers. They had to have been in their sight line. So somewhere in the, in the Chicago area where, you know, you could see these two buildings, someone was doing this bizarre and they still couldn't find them. And if they were supposed to be that smart, they couldn't come up with a more like yeah. uh, cohesive uh, part, like breakthrough, like what you're was all the over messaging? the place. Like, yeah. Like, what are you trying to say? You're referencing a million different things, talking about nerds and liberals and how much cooler would this be if it had some awesome message like, or me something? Yeah. Like, I don't know anything, eat the rich, anything better than this weird, I'm going to fling a dildo around my apartment, like pretending to be Max Hedrum. This is so strange. They've, it's been investigated, you know, and they can't, they can't find the, the pirates, but in unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know, the statute of limitations is long past. So, but totally bizarre. Maybe, so if you're, maybe if we grew up in Chicago, we'd have known about it. I didn't, I didn't know about it. Yeah. Cause it, I guess it wasn't like, uh, they didn't get broadcast like during uh, yeah. the episode of Who Killed Jr. where everyone saw. <laughs> like it, it was, um, it was interrupting local broadcasting. Yeah, right. right. And it also, it, if it made national news, maybe we. I mean, we were kids. We probably wouldn't have been that mm -mm. like tuned into it. But anyway, so totally bizarre, bizarre history. I'm looking that up. I want to say it. It's so weird. I thought I always thought Max Hedrum was weird to begin with. It was with. weird. And actually I as a child I thought he was very like creepy. I didn't like Yeah, it was it was yes, it was a creepy kind of vibe. It wasn't funny or cool. It was it didn't like it. His hair mm. looks like plastic and he wears that weird outfit. I don't it know. was always like skittish and like Yeah, I it was know. all jerking because he's supposed to be like, I'm a broadcast. I don't know. Just, yeah, I don't no. like it. Yeah, I didn't take it either. Maybe we're just conflating the Max Hedger character with the <laughs> fake one that came on and <laughs> waved a dildo around. We saw it. <laughs> and that's the one we remember. Oh, wait, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, November 23rd, 1984. I just want to point out that this is when my favorite adaptation of A Christmas Carol premiered, the one with George mm. T. Scott. I it's love that the best. one. It is the best my one. My favorite one. Yeah. That's, I know you love The Muppet one, right? Well, yes, I do love The Muppet one, but the George T. Scott one's great. So good. You know that I read that every year, right? Did I tell you that? Have no. you read that? You should read it. I've never read it. There's some parts that are, you know, because it's it's a Victorian novel, so it's like some stuff just kind of like seems a little long winded. But I took Victorian lit in college, and it was my least favorite English yeah. class. It was. Did you terrible. have to read Dickens for it? They must have made you read something. <laughs> they must have, and I think I've. I really, I remember just having to like read the poetry and like do the, like the yeah break it apart or whatever. Oh yeah. God, I, I just yeah. I I block the whole class out of it, but I must have yeah. read that kind of that Dickens in there, but um. A Christmas Carol is great. I highly recommend it. Actually, Daniel and I are listening to it as an audiobook, and it's being read by Tim Curry. 
So oh, that's pretty, pretty good. great. Yeah. So if you're down and you know, it's short, it's a novella. It's like really, it's a mm-hmm. breeze through it. Yeah. I'll read it. I love it. I'll give it a shot. And then November 27th, 1924, first Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade is held. So this is the weirdest shit ever. Well, no, it's not the weird. I mean, the Max Headroom thing might be the weirdest shit ever, but the whole giant balloon. I don't like parades, full disclosure. I sound like such a... No, I don't like them either. I hate them. I know. I sound like Oscar the Grouch on this podcast because I don't like musicals or parades, but like, I just... I don't get it. The only parade I ever liked was the Disney electrical one. Oh, well, that's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. I just don't like... So I would never watch the Macy's one. I don't mind. Like we said, we did the... Uh, there was like a holiday parade that was the other night, which was cute because everything was lit oh, up. Oh, but- in your, in your local one, that's cute because yeah. it's like your but community. The big, but like, I mean, I... You know, I grew up outside of Philly. Like the Mummers is like yeah, my Mummers. worst, my worst nightmare. Like if my you, dad, that's my dad's favorite parade. My he my said mom they aired it when he was a kid in New Jersey. They would air it on TV, and he loved it. Yeah, they still do. My mom grew up in South Philly, so she loved going to it. And like she tried to, like Jake's whole family grew up doing that. Wow, with the weird. My mom, like- my mom tried to get us do it to go and to watch it, and. I, I'd rather die. It yeah. was just so, it's so cold and yeah. stupid, and you're just standing there watching drunk people. And, it's, and you usually hung over because it's, and, it's but New there's Day. nothing to watch. The parade's stupid. Those yeah. balloons and all that stuff. Yeah, mm. I don't like it. I don't like that. So balloons were added in 1928, and from 1928 to 1932, the balloons were released into the mm. air. Bizarre. Sure. And Why they, not? And it was like a contest. Macy's was like, if you bring. A deflated if you find a deflated balloon and you bring it back to us we'll give you 25 dollars, which i guess <laughs> is a lot of money why not just keep the fucking balloon what are you doing what who thought of this like they weren't thinking no so i've always thought that was so weird and then i just have to end on this just because it's uh, remember i said 1978 it was a weird fucking year mm-hmm. november 27th 1978 san francisco supervisor harvey milk and san francisco uh. george Moscone are assassinated by former supervisor dan white not going to get into a deep diet at the Dan White's a piece of shit. He tried to blame <laughs> Twinkies yeah. or, and sugar. I was eating too much sugar and it fucking worked. I mean, it, this country, it's so, so weird sometimes. I just don't understand how things happen. If I put that in a book, he'd be like, this is stupid. Come up with a better, like, you know, no. trial scene for the villain. No, to use Twinkies and sugary cereal as his excuse. Gross. So weird. Milk's a great movie, though. Mm hmm. Yeah, so that's all I got. I did edit out quite a bit. I mean, I could have gone. This was an action-packed two weeks. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Do you have anything for the rec room? Oh, did I tell you why I think I accidentally stole that? Although I didn't. I don't know if I accidentally stole it, but I I listened to a podcast called My Favorite Murder that I I had a lot of back podcast back episodes to listen to, mm-hmm. um, and I was listening to one like a month ago, and I was in the CVS parking lot. And I like hit the brakes and yelped because she's like, should we be calling our recommendations corner the rec room? And I was like, oh no. <laughs> oh crap. Did they decide to do it? They didn't, they didn't oh. keep it. They don't call it that. But I was like, oh my God. Like, That's do weird. I share a brain with it? Like that's so weird. I mean, I guess it makes sense. It's like, you know, it's play on words or whatever, but I'm not that. I'm just, my point is I'm not that creative is what I'm saying. I'm not great. That's the best thing I come up with. Uh, I did finish a book, but now I can't remember what it was called. Oh, my God. What? Yes. Do you remember what it was about? Yes. Hold on. Oh, shit. I remembered. It's called The Four Winds. Okay. And it's about the Great Depression. Oh. <clears throat> like the Dust Bowl family that... Historical fiction or... Yeah. Okay. Uh, I like yeah. Those. I read it. I read the whole thing. I didn't love it. It wasn't oh, great. But it was okay. um about a, a, a woman who um conquers everything to save her children and travel from the dust bowl to i don't know where the hell they went california yeah usually. um and the okies, uh, like the okies yeah yeah to save her children because they're like you know getting asphyxiated by dust in their lungs from yeah. all these storms Are you sure this wasn't everything. called grapes of wrath it wasn't called grapes of wrath <laughs> did you read grapes of wrath yeah it was good. I mean, I, I was impressed that I actually yeah, read a whole book. Good job. I know. Good I job, stayed up. I I don't sleep. So I, instead of just scrolling through my phone, I got up out of bed and I would go downstairs and just read. So. Say it's better for you if you can't sleep to read a book, not to look well, at a screen. Something about the screen like tr- like wakes up your eyeballs or something. It's better yeah, for I think it like, stops your melatonin production or whatever. Yeah, something. Good for you. It was fine. It was good. We started watching um, The Invasion on Apple TV. I don't even know what that is. 
it's about an alien invasion. Focuses on like, I don't know, four or five different characters all over the globe dealing with this alien invasion. But it's, you do see the aliens, but it's not, it's not like an action pack. It's more like dealing on these relationships or these people, like you're stuck with the people you're stuck with during an invasion and how you're going to survive it or right. who you're not stuck with if you're alone. It's right. pretty good. I don't oh, know how cool. many episodes we have left, but that one's, it's, it's interesting. Okay. We finished uh, Ted Lasso. Mm-hmm. I, I liked it. I did not like it as much as the first season. Mm-hmm. And I'm like mad that I now hate Nate. Yeah. They really made him horrible, didn't they? Jesus Christ. I mean, he turned he turned into such a garbage um, person. Oh, my God. It's incredible. Incredible devolution or whatever. Uh, what was the episode that you thought they could have like gotten rid, rid of? Daniel, the, I'm trying to guess that. The freaking club one where the, oh. the, the, the assistant coach the whole Thank night. With God, the, you said that. With the damn pants and the shit. Like, what? I, I, that's an hour I'll never get back. Thank God you said that because I was worried it was the Christmas one and then I'd have to divorce you. Oh, like no, you no. Know, the, the, Brits, one, the Brits love Christmas. I episodes. know. There's always a Christmas. Uh, yeah, Down Abbey always had the Christmas yes. episode. Yes. No, it was the stupid assistant coach one. Yeah, that was so weird. I didn't uh, like it at all. It wasn't funny like at, at all. all. And he wasn't. He's not my favorite character in that show. So to yeah. to, to, to to devote a whole hour to him, I could have cared less. He's actually one of the weaker characters, I'd say. And he yeah. doesn't have to not his fault. It's just like the writing. No, he's good for what he does with his like yeah. one-liners and shit. But that whole episode, yeah. those fucking pants. I just couldn't. remove it. Yeah. Yeah. And we've watched and finished the Great British Bake Off, like the last one. Oh, yeah, so did I. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I love that I love show. that like, show. Makes me so happy. I know. I didn't think he was going to win. I know. So I didn't some, either. Mm-mm. I didn't oh, see that coming. About, spoiler alert on the gender, but yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, the, um, yeah, I didn't either. Did not. That, you know, I usually can kind of guess it. I'm getting pretty good at it. They were good at. Uh, this one was tough. Yeah. They threw you off. Uh, I wasn't even right on who made it to the final. I really f- fudged up, man. I, oh, yeah, I, yeah. Same. Same. I was mm-hmm. wrong on that. But yeah, it was great. And we were watching a lot of Christmas movies. We watched. Uh, we try to watch like a couple a year that we've never seen because I could just watch the same ones over and over again. We watched one called, oh my God. Oh, oh good. I don't feel bad about forgetting the name of the book I read. Oh no. Are you kidding? I t- that's why I'm taking Ginkgo Biloba and it ain't working. It's called Holiday Affair. I never heard of it. It's really cute. It's kind of has, it's Robert Mitchum is the, it's like a love triangle and it's kind of has like vibes of um, Miracle on 34th Street, which I actually don't really like that movie. Mm. It's the little boy. She has a little boy. She's a single mother and she has a little boy. And he is so cute. We were laughing. He's just, I don't know if he's like act, just a good actor or he's just the way they he is. He's so cute. And it's just like a very cute um, romance holiday. And it's very Christmassy. You know, sometimes movies are like, eh, it's not that Christmassy. It just happens around Christmas. Like this is mm-hmm. very, and last year we watched this one called Remember the Night. Never heard of it. Amazing, amazing Christmas Who's movie. in that? Barbara Stanwyck. She's so funny and uh, and Fred McMurray, who I don't really like, but mm-hmm. um, it's so, so sweet. And so, I don't know, it starts off a little like. Remember the night it's called? Yeah. The first like t- 10 minutes, I, the guy, Fred McMurray's like mean to his valet or valet, whatever they call that. Like is the guy, mm-hmm. he's valet, yep. you know, he's like kind of mean to him. We're like, oh, I don't like this guy. Like, I'm not going to root for this guy. But then as it gets progresses, you just like it's just such a sweet it's kind of like a road movie meets a christmas movie like it's so you're cute. you're watching old yeah old we, ones. just because did like, you ever watch Pe- penny serenade no i know that i i don't that's a is that a christmas movie though there's i mean is it sad why are you making yeah, that face why are you making that face i just want to make sure it's called penny serenade but i'm pretty sure it's really sad and i would say yes it's a christmas movie oh um carrie grant yes irene dunn okay I have not. Oh, Beulah Bondi's in that one. Beulah Bondi is in Remember the Night. She plays everyone's mom. Like, why is she? She's like so. Oh, well, that's I know weird. Why. She's so sweet and adorable. Remember, she's the mom in um, uh, It's a Wonderful Life. She's the, oh, she's okay. Ma Bailey. She's the mm-hmm. mom in it. She's mom in everything. That's so funny that she's in that one. Yeah. Okay. We'll add that to the. We'll check that out. I would say that's a Christmas movie. And we watch uh, some new ones too. Like, if there's a new <gasps> one that comes out, we'll watch it. But can I? tell you that i watched some pieces of shit on netflix did you see the um brooke shields carrie elwes uh piece of shit movie that's on there called a castle for christmas oh god no i fucking these watched like, it was it's it like lifetime garbage ones i watched it and it's okay horrible. so it was bad like you were oh, yeah. watching it or you loved it because like, you were so awful like which kind of awful 
no, like I was enjoying it because it was so awful. (laughs) So now I think, and I went through a phase where I was loving Lifetime movies. And I think that- Is this their version of like Hallmark? Yes. Whatever they're called. Is it Hallmark? Whatever it is. Yeah. And then I watched another one called Love Hard, which is actually kind of cute about like a girl gets catfished and goes, shows up at some kid's house and it's not the guy she thought it was, but that was a Christmas one too. Oh, cute. So I'm watching those. I'd watch that. Like I'd watch one. Like if you if you gave me told me one that wasn't too watch, cringe, I'd watch it. Watch the Brooke Shields one. No, <laughs> let me know how how long you get through it. Oh my god, it's so I can't bad. stand those ones. Those it's like, so bad. Yeah, I watch it, and I rewatch. I rewatch every year. I mean, I love White Christmas. Mm-hmm. I, you know, yeah, and I I watch Love Actually. It's a it's wonderful, a wonderful life. life. Yeah, yeah, all those Home I Alone. Love them all. Jake's gonna have us watch Die Hard, and I think. Polar Express is crap. Creepy. What? Yeah, my kid, my, my, my I've never fine. seen it. I just think it's, I have no interest in seeing that one. My kids saw it at my mom's and they, they loved it. I was like, I'm good. I don't need kids to see that. fucking love that movie. And it's so creepy. It's that weird animation. And then there's like a kid that's the like, you know, like the secondary kid actor in it, the one that becomes a kid's friend, is like doing a Jerry Lewis impersonation. It's so strange. It's <laughs> so weird. Ugh, no. I hate it. So yeah, but uh, yeah. And then I'm reading Christmas Carol. That's it. Well, book on tape, Christmas Carol. We still have some Christmas movies to watch before next week. I can't believe it's next week. I'm so excited. Yeah. Is it really next week? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I'm like, oh, no. Nah. All right. Well, All right. I hope you had a great holiday. Yeah, you too. And then I guess we'll hook up in the new year. Yeah. Have a Merry Christmas. and Yeah, you too. Happy New Year. Okay. All right, see ya. See ya.